You make a 
It's a routine. She crawls up on my lap and she lays on my chest and she lifts up her shirt and she just wants me just to, on her back, just tickle her softly on her back. She, oh, she loves it. And then she'll turn around, tickle my tummy and I'll tickle her tummy. Then she'll get her feet and, she'll, like, and then she'll take my finger and just start like, tickling for, for me. And the other day, and then there'll be times where we'll sit there for half hour, 40 minutes sometimes and we're just playing together and she'll take my face and Anyway, I said, I said, Eden, have you been learning any new songs? She said, yeah, Big God. I'm like, okay, sing it to me. And she started singing, he's a big God, how big? He's a big God, how big? Bigger than the mountain, bigger than the sea, a whole lot bigger than you and me. And then he goes, it's a big, 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 strong, wonderful God. And she's like, daddy, you do big. And I'm like stretching and she's, and then she gets out of the chair and she starts pulling my arm. And I'm like, babe, I can't do it any longer. And it just got me to thinking again, in my little analogies, how big God is. That we serve a God that in spite of what we may think, he is above all, more than we can ask or think. And I'm thankful for his grace.
grace amazes us. We're honored by your presence today, oh God. Lord, again, I pray that we open our ears to hear your word. You speak to us, oh Father. Open our minds to understand. But more importantly, may we open our hearts to receive what you have. We love you. We love you. We cherish you. We adore you. In your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Turn to one next to you and say, I'm thankful for his grace. Amen. Jesus, let me hear your hands this morning. So glad you're here this morning for our third week of Super Sunday Family Fun Day. And uh, I'm not sure what we're doing with the lights here, but I need a little bit to see people out there. It's completely dark. If you give me a little light on the uh, on congregation, that would be really, really helpful. Um, glad that you're here. We have a lot of things that are happening, and we're going to continue our series things you learned in school that are not true. And again, we're not criticizing at all teachers. We love teachers, right? Give it up for teachers. But that conventional wisdom isn't always wisdom, and it's not always the truth. We've talked about the tongue map and how that doesn't function the way that they've told us. Um, this morning, we're going to talk about the use of your brain. How many of you have one? Please hold up your hand. I'm still looking for that question. Gets a 100% response. I've not found it yet. And some of you are proving it to be true. Let's try this again. How many of you have a brain? Let me see your hands. Great. Wonderful. That's about 90%. How many of you have heard the myth that we only use 10% of our brain? How many have heard that? I know people that make that seem to be true. <laughs> Don't point at anyone. But it's false. It's not true at all. So I did a little research to try to determine where did that come from that we only use 10% of our brain and no one really knows. Now watch this because there's a point to be made. The 10% statement may have started with a misquote of Albert Einstein or a misinterpretation of the work of Pierre Florens in the 1800s. It may have been William James who wrote in 1908, we are making only a small part of our possible mental and physical resources. Perhaps it was the work of Carl Lashley in the 1920s and 30s. Lashley was a scientist who removed large portions of rodents' brains and discovered they could still learn and relearn tasks. But no one really knows. It's not said anywhere. It's not in writing anywhere. It's just become that story that gets circulated. Why does it continue? 
because somehow, somewhere, someone before Facebook, <laughs> somehow, somewhere, someone started this myth and the popular media keeps repeating this false statement, soon everyone believes this statement regardless of the evidence. That's not just in regard to 10% of your brain. That is affecting so much of our culture right now. Somewhere, someone, somehow started the myth and the popular media keeps on repeating this false statement. Soon, everyone believes the statement regardless of the evidence. We could talk about politics. We could talk about culture. We can talk about a number of things today that are impacted by the repetition of media telling us things that aren't true. Now, there's some proponents of the 10% myth that have an agenda. They've long asserted that the unused 90% of your brain is capable of exhibiting psychic powers and can be trained to perform ESP. So they would like us to believe that we can slip into that other realm. And it remains widespread among New Age proponents. However, the physiological mapping of your brain demonstrates that all areas of the brain have a function and they're all used nearly all of the time. Think about it. I just want you to get a picture of how amazing your brain is. You have an amazing brain. It weighs about three pounds and is enable, enabling you to think, learn, create, feel emotions. It controls every blink, every breath, every heartbeat. And your brain has been described by scientists as the most complex thing we have yet discovered in our universe. Your brain is the most complex thing science has ever had to deal with. Your brain is more powerful than a supercomputer. Imagine that you have a kitten on your kitchen counter. It's hard for me to imagine having a kitten, let alone on the counter. <laughs> but for you cat people, your kitten is on the kitchen counter. She's about to step onto the stove that you've left on. You have only seconds to act According to the, or accessing the signals coming from your eyes, your brain quickly calculates when, where, and at what speed you will need to lunge to intercept your cat. Then it orders your muscles to respond. Your timing is perfect. Your kitten is saved. I'm not sure that's a win. But your timing is perfect and the kitten is saved. No computer, no computer can come close to your brain's awesome ability to download, process, and react to the flood of information that's coming from your combined senses. We have never created a computer that can respond in that fashion. Your brain contains 100 billion microscopic cells called neurons. So many it would take over 3,000 years to simply count them. When you dream, laugh, think, see, or move, it's because tiny chemical and electrical impulses are racing between those neurons along billions of tiny highways. Whether you believe it or not, the activity in your brain never stops. 
Some people you have to accept that by faith. <laughs> Countless messages zip around inside it every second like a supercharged pinball machine. Your neurons create and send more messages than all of the phones in the entire world. While a single neuron generates only a tiny amount of electricity, all the neurons together, the electricity in your brain could power a 25 watt bulb. Neurons send information to your brain at more than 150 miles an hour. A bee lands on your bare foot. Sensory neurons in the skin relay this information to your spinal cord and brain at speeds of, again, more than 150 miles an hour. Your brain then uses motor neurons to transmit the message back through your spinal cord to your foot to shake the bee off, and motor neurons can relay this information at more than 200 miles an hour. So it's 150 miles an hour to get there, and then your brain says, that's a bee, and it's 200 miles an hour getting back to your foot. And what's interesting is when you learn, the structure of your brain actually changes. How many of you remember when you learned to ride a bike? How many of you know how to ride a bike? How many of you know what a bike is? <laughs> I remember trying to learn to ride a bike and trying to teach my grandkids and kids to ride a bike. And you know how it is. It seems like they're never going to learn. And how many of you remember, you know, dad or mom or a, hopefully not a brother or sister because they're a little meaner with shoving you down the driveway. But you're trying to learn and it's wobbling and you can't. And do you remember that moment when all of a sudden you're riding a bike and the thought is, it was so simple. Why did I make it so hard? Well, what's happening as you're learning to ride a bike, your brain is sending new messages along pathways of neurons over and over that form new connections. In fact, the structure of your brain changes every time you learn, as well as when you have a new thought or memory. So your brain absorbs all that, keeps the information that's helpful until the point comes where it doesn't matter. I don't know. I haven't been on a bicycle for a long time, but I'm relatively confident I'd be able to get on one and ride it again. When you learn, it changes. What I'm trying to express to you this morning is that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Your brain is an organ that science has not ever been able to come close to replicating, and that brain of yours isn't functioning at 10%. Every part of your brain is functioning almost all of the time. So I began to think, is there anywhere in our lives that functioning at 10% may be true? You see, you're also spiritually fearfully and wonderfully made. When we were born again, our spirits that were dead were made alive. How many know that? And God has created you. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And whether you believe it or not, when you came to Christ, God instilled in you certain giftings and abilities to be used for his kingdom's sake. And as I look around the kingdom of God, I am a bit concerned that we may be only operating at 10% of the potential of the spiritual gifting that's available in this room. Can you imagine with me what might happen if we were to seriously, intentionally, purposefully try to tap into the giftings that God has given us and operate at 100% of our spiritual potential? What might happen? I tell you what will happen. 
heaven, blind eyes will open, bondages will be broken, men, women, boys and girls will become the faith in Christ. If we can somehow operate at that 100% level. Now I don't mean that as a challenge like 100 versus 99%, but I'm convinced, I just am convinced that many believers never enter into their destiny because they never identify the equipping and gifting that God has for them. And they sit in churches bored and discontent and complain because they've never laid hold of what they were created for. And if we could grab hold of that, it would change everything. You are spiritually gifted by God. Do not ever say otherwise. Look at your neighbor and say, you are spiritually gifted by God. I want you to look him in the eye and say that to them. And for you to say otherwise is to call God a liar and to declare the word of God untrue. He has gifted you and has a purpose for you. And this morning I want to challenge you just for a few minutes on diving into or at least beginning the journey of tapping into the gifting that God has placed in your life. It's been said in churches that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Now, I will tell you that is not true at Berean. I will tell you that is not true. We have a host of volunteers, people that are working and laboring all the time behind the scenes that may never be seen. But I, I, I do believe our number is much higher than that. But also know there's more room to volunteer. And while I'm not going to preach this message this morning on recruiting volunteers, let me just suggest to you that one of the best ways to determine your gifting is to begin to volunteer to serve in some capacity or to experience some, um, something outside yourself that's brand new. What is your gifting? What has God given you to do? Well, I suggest that the first step along this journey is to ask God to help you desire spiritual gifts, to desire spiritual gifts. Now, we're going to spend some time in the book of Romans chapter 12. If you want to turn there and follow along, I'll, re I'll reference some others as well. But you need to desire spiritual gifts. Um, it tells us in 1 Corinthians 14, before I get to Romans 12, it's, it's clear in 1 Corinthians 14 when it's talking about the supernatural gifts. But the end of 14, it also talks about ministry gifts. They're all put together in one place. We're talking about gifts of healing right alongside helps and hospitality, all in that same context. And he gives us, he gives us a declaration, an exhortation that the people of God that have been redeemed by the blood of Christ and have been impacted by the Holy Spirit, you have a calling, and that is to desire a spiritual gift, to desire to operate in your gifting. You have to want that. People will come to me often and say, Pastor, what, what do you think I should do in this church? What do you think I should do for God's kingdom? I don't know. I wasn't there when God ordained your purpose. You've got to have a desire for that yourself, a holy discontent that I'm not satisfied just sitting still without um, desiring something new from God. Supernatural gifts, vocational gifts, and ministry gifts are all articulated 
in the word of God. Romans chapter 12 gives us a catalog of ministry gifts. Ephesians chapter 4 describes to us vocational gifts. And 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 describe the supernatural gifts. And we should desire that. In fact, we're told to covet, to earnestly desire to prophesy. Do you want it? Nothing can happen till you desire it, until you're hungry for it. To say, God, I will not rest. I will not be satisfied until you put a desire in me to use me in greater ways for your kingdom's sake. So in Romans chapter 12, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters. What is Romans 12 about? It's about ministry gifts. Some call them motivational gifts, but ministry gifts. I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I urge you, he's passionate, to enter into what I'm going to say to you in this chapter. And that understanding or, or desiring a spiritual gift starts with you giving yourself fully to God. Nothing held back. God, I'm yours. Whatever you want, whatever you do with me, I, I'm hungry to feel your touch, to know your touch. Early in ministry, I'm not a counselor. I've never claimed to be a counselor. I'm a pastor. And I do pastoral counseling, which is really simply expounding the word of God in a one-on-one or a one-on-two setting. That's all that it is. I'm not using psychological tricks or psychobabble. It's let's look at what the word of God says and how it applies to your life. But I remember pastoring in Olwine and a man came in to talk to me, his head down. You could almost see the storm cloud over his head. And we sat there and I thought, I'm 24 years old full of wisdom and life experiences. (laughs) And I thought, dear Lord Jesus, I have nothing to say. I don't know what this guy needs. I don't know. I have no idea. You have to help me. He started to talk. And I heard myself start to answer. And I thought, who is this person sitting here? I'm saying things I don't even know where they came from. And I saw the cloud lift. I saw his countenance change. I felt God move in the room and he left different than he came in. Not because I was wise, but because God is the giver of gifts. And he gave me a word of wisdom for that man in his context. And after that meeting, I said, dear God, I want that. I want that in my life. I want that gifting in me. Because if you can use me to banish the dark clouds over somebody's life and see the sun shine again. I'll do that till the day I die. It created a hunger in me for the giftings that he has for me. We need that same kind of passionate desire. You need to be hungry for it. Because that is your reasonable service. It's your true and proper worship. Your true and proper worship, as much as I appreciate, I really do our worship team, and I appreciate the presence of God. But what is true worship? It's not, it begins, and experiential worship is what we're about, corporately exalting God. But your true and proper worship is when you present your body as a living sacrifice to God and say, here I am, Lord, do with me whatever you desire to do. 
And that can show itself in so many, many different ways. I don't want to get ahead of my message, but it starts with desiring. I urge you, and I would take the words of Paul and say, I beseech you, church, I urge you to have a holy dissatisfaction, a hunger that says, God, I want what you have for me. Well, three of us are hungry. Second, then, along that journey, you have to discover your spiritual gifts. Look at what it says in verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. Notice it doesn't say that he will reveal to you what his will is. It says you will test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You have to discover it. You have to test and approve. It is an experiential discovery of the will of God for your life. God's will is that you operate in your gifting, and the way that you find that out is by trying it. That can show itself in so many ways. And so, Leanne, you're sitting uh, right there where I can see you. And I can tell you that in a secular environment, as an attorney, God has given you a spiritual gifting to minister to people out of that law context and touch their lives. And you learn that by experimenting with that when doors open. I could, David Burrier was talking to me about a, a s'mores party they just had out where he lived. And uh, that's, that's party animal over there. He's going to find a way to have some fun. How do you do? You experiment. You know when you experiment? If nobody came, it was a bad idea and you learn from it. But when they come with their walkers early because they're so excited, you experience something that is positive. You learn by doing. And the reason we don't discover it is because we're not willing to do anything. Now you'll make some mistakes. Oh, thank God we don't have Singspirations anymore. <laughs> Any of you old enough to remember a Singspiration? You'd come in on a Sunday night and just let anybody that wanted to sing, sing. Yet not a good plan. <laughs> not a good plan. Sometimes when you schedule people to sing, it's not a good plan. I was preaching a camp meeting in western Iowa, and Caleb was with us. He's about, I don't know, I'll just say he was eight years old. Um, and on Sunday morning, they had a guy sing that changed keys four times in the song. But the musicians didn't know he was going to do that. About the time they'd find him, bless their hearts, he would change keys again. And then he's really nervous up there, and it's that old song. How do you know that song? It's me again, Lord. Anybody? It's me again, Lord. So he's singing like this. Um, Steve, you want to make sure I don't peek the system right here. So he's on the platform. I have to preach after this. And this guy is standing up there, and he's going, It's me again, Lord! Screaming. And it's like, My, my Lord Jesus, come now. <laughs> I got to preach after this. And so I preached. We left. We asked Caleb. We're driving home. Asked him what he thought. He said, yeah, Dad, you know that guy that sang? 
I said, yep. Why didn't somebody make him stop? <laughs> now, I want you to see this in another context. We, we were having a singspiration when I was, uh, you, some of those you should call sing a purgatory. We're having a singspiration and this young man decides he's going to sing. Now watch this. I want you to watch what happened. He couldn't carry a tune if you welded it to him. It'd fall off. And he's up there trying to sing and it's the worst thing I've heard in my life up to that point. But he started to cry while he sang. We were crying too. But the Spirit of God started to move into the room. I'm telling you what, people went to the altar, people repented. There was a wonderful move of God because he was willing to be used in that moment. And it was a wonderful night that we never wanted to experience again. He was never asked to sing again because God was showing us that he uses the foolish to confound the wise, the weak to confound the strong. But we're not going to put him on the worship team because that was a supernatural moment, not a spiritual gifting. We all knew, and he knew that night, that wasn't his gifting. Sometimes you learn by doing. Come on. And it doesn't work out. Don't get mad. Just realize that's not where my gifting is. But I'll tell you what will happen as you prove you've given yourself fully to God and you try. It might be that they will ask you to help out with the, with the six-year-olds and you do it one Sunday and then they forget you're there for 20 years. But you discover that God's gifted you to minister to those kids. And you pour into them and pour into them and pour into them. And there's a sense that God is using this. God is blessing through this I'm telling you that the ministry if I'm, I'm not recruiting I'm just telling you that one of the most powerful ministries we have in this church is in is in promised land because babies who cannot cognitively respond to their environment will emotionally bond with what feels good. And when they're loved and cared for and they begin to grow up in there, this becomes a warm place, an affirming place, a loving place. And they'll want to keep coming back here and you're pouring into them. And when I watch my grandson open his Bible and pat it and say, Jesus, there's an impact being made in there for the kingdom's sake. Where has God gifted you? Try it. Experiment with it. Now, if you serve in promised land and you have to go into therapy the next week, that might not be your gifting. <laughs> if you walk by the row and those kids are all sitting in chairs terrified looking at you, that's not your gifting. <laughs> but you try it. You experiment with it. You um, discover it. It's up to you to discover it experientially. You see, in Ephesians chapter 4, we're also told that, that when Jesus ascended and descended, he gave gifts to men, uh, prophets, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. For what purpose? For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry goes on to describe that the body of Christ might be fully developed and fully orbed. What are leadership or vocational gifts given? Not so that I can do the work or the staff can do the work, but to do our best to equip you to do what God's called you to do and give you opportunities to discover where that gifting is. Try it. Find out. 
<laughs> what does that even look like? <laughs> well, let's, let's just experiment for a moment. No, I'm not going to do that. I'll just explain it this way. So if you think your gifting is vocal music, the way you discover that is not by volunteering to sing a solo. Maybe you get a few good friends around you and say, can you help me? Or you meet with Pastor Nathan and say, I think I have a gifting to sing and I want you to help me shape that and let someone invest in you because not everybody has the gifting that they want to have. They have a gifting that they've been given. And it's, it's a mistake to try to grab something that isn't yours or to be something that you're not. But don't be afraid. Are you hearing me? Don't be afraid to experiment, to try to find out where that gifting is. Second uh, Timothy talks to us about studying to be a workman approved, not a scholar approved, but a workman approved unto God. You've got to discover it. Third, then you need to develop them. Look at verse uh, 3 in chapter 12 of Romans. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but to think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all of the others. We have differing gifts according to the grace given to us. Now let me pause right there and say, think about that. Grace is freely distributed to us all, but in different measures and different ways. And the grace that is extended to you comes with gifting in that context. So now watch. Not everybody is going to receive the same level of gifting grace. Some have the capacity to rule over one city, some over five, and some over ten. And so you don't look at the breadth of your impact. You look at the vertical relationship to God that's being had in your impact. So I, I, I've, had, I've had people say to me, I remember a young man came into my office and he said, I know that God's called me to be an international evangelist. I'm going to travel the world and preach at camps and I'm going to preach at camps overseas and all around the world. And he hadn't even spoken to the youth group. He hadn't received grace for that gifting. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Yes. But once you've received grace and you understand your gifting, you've desired it and you discover it, then there is a process of learning how to develop that. So he says to us, the last part of verse 6, when you understand that all together, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. Paul is saying that your expression of the gift will be in harmony 
with the development of your faith. And don't expect to be a spiritual giant because you have a gift. Recognize where you are in your growth track with God and your gift will be a proportionate to that. Everyone in ministry wrestles at some time in their life with the narrowness of their field. I want to reach the nations. I want to reach the world. I want to travel. Why can't I be Billy Graham? Because that's not the grace he's given to you. And that's not the faith that you've developed. And God needs people who are working in the homeless shelter as much as he needs someone preaching in the arenas. And it's not your job to decide your assignment. It's your job to receive the assignment and do it to the best of your ability. For some time, and the reason, there are reasons why I'm not doing it now, but for some time, I would go once a month down to uh, Bethel Mission and speak to the homeless guys there. And I will tell you that that is a tougher crowd to share Jesus with. Amen. It's t- sometimes hostile crowd. And I felt like God spoke to me and said, if your gospel message doesn't work here, you don't have a message to preach from there. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The point I'm trying to make is once you've determined your gifting, it will be in accordance with the development of your faith and that will identify where you want to be. I I, I just have been frustrated uh, all my life with musicians and vocalists who think because they can sing well, they need to travel the world. How many of you know that we need good worship leaders, good vocalists, good musicians in the local church to reach our city, and that is just as viable and probably more viable than the person that's got a bus driving down the highway because it's week after week building the body of Christ to reach hundreds and thousands of other people for the kingdom. What is your calling? Let it be in accordance with your faith, but then develop it. Don't be sloppy. Don't assume it will just happen. The Bible tells us in the book of Acts that there was a young Jew, a man named Apollos. He was from Alexandria, and he came to Ephesus. Listen, the Bible says about him, he was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. Okay, let me explain that. At this point... In church history, there was, there was not a New Testament. There wasn't scripture that explained the kenosis, the humanity and the deity of Jesus Christ. There wasn't clear teaching, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, every one of you. So all of the New Testament teaching was oral and revealed by Christ to his disciples and communicated in that fashion. So when it says that he had a thorough understanding of the scripture, it wasn't Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. How many are hearing what I'm saying? So he had a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately. Sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, you can bank on that. Knows the scriptures. He's fervent. 
servant. He's a great communicator. And he's preaching accurately about Jesus, though he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Priscilla and Aquila heard him. They invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more perfectly. He needed to grow in his gifting. Now, I'm, I'm going to say something here that I probably shouldn't, but I'm going to put lead pastors on trial this morning, and hopefully you'll feel guilty as well. You can smile, it's okay. We hosted uh, Dell Tackett and the engagement project, needed a place to meet, and they had people they wanted to train for a, a, a training day for some things that we were going to do, and we agreed to host it here. And probably, uh, Adam, where are you at? Probably, what did you say, 125, 150 people here maybe? About 150 people that were here. And, uh, and I came in, and I was, they were shocked that the lead pastor was here on a Saturday morning. And so I said to the group when I did the introduction, that's proof that God raises the dead when you get a lead pastor up on Saturday morning. But I didn't understand that Del Tackett, who travels the world well-respected nationally, came to find me after the meeting was over, and he said, thank you for being here as a lead pastor. And I said, okay, I'm not, I'm not tracking here. Why do lead pastors not come to these events? Now listen, everybody listen right now. He said, because it's my experience that the majority of lead pastors are so arrogant that they think they can't learn anything more. Wow. Well, let me take that knife out of my back and say, oh, that's true of board members. Oh, somebody say amen now. <laughs> that can be true of Sunday school teachers. That can be true of church members. Pastor, I've been going to this church for 25 years. No, you don't have 25 years of experience. You have one year of experience 25 times. Those are not the same. And anytime any of us, whatever role we play, whether it's a lead pastor, a board member, an elder, a Sunday school classroom teacher, a small group leader, when you get to the place that you feel like you have understood it all and you've reached the pinnacle of your preparation, hang up your spurs because your ministry is over. It needs constantly to be developed. How many are hearing me right now? You need to be working on it. If you're not working on, listen, if you're not working on your gifting to develop it more fully, you are not presenting your body a living sacrifice. That's where we started. You've got to desire your gift. You've got to discover your gift. And then there's work to develop your gift. He'll give it to you. But you're going to have to sharpen it. You're going to have to study. You're going to have to develop it if you want to be effective. You see, these are gifts of grace. And the Bible tells us over and over again that we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
I press toward the mark. Paul said, brothers, I don't count myself to have apprehended, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching to those things that are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He is saying, I'm not banking on my past victories. I realize there's more ground to be gained. There's more to experience. And until we get to heaven, we should be developing and sharpening our giftings for the kingdom's sake. I've jokingly told people that I know what I want on my tombstone. I wanted to say, see, I told you I was sick. No, I, no that's not what I want. <laughs> I wanted to say, I died climbing. Where did that come from? I was reading about mountain climbers in the Alps and on one particularly dangerous slope, one of the mountain climbers died. It wasn't possible to get him back down. He had to be buried there under a pile of rocks because it was so cold and frigid. And they put up a cross and a marker and they wrote about him. He died. He didn't die falling. He died climbing. He was reaching that should be the epitaph of every child of God. We need to develop our gifting. Are you with me? So we need to desire it. We need to discover it. You have to discover it. And then develop it. And then last, deploy it. Just do it. Just do it. So watch how the tone changes in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 6, when he says, talks about our differing gifts. And he says, if your gift is prophesying, then he quantifies it, then prophesy in accordance to your faith. Then his tone changes. It's almost like he gets impatient. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraging, then encourage. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently and to show mercy, do it cheerfully. But in that middle section, what is he saying? If that's your gifting, then do it. Before Nike ever marketed it, Paul was saying, just do it. Do it. If you discourage people when you're around, you don't have the gift of encouragement. Find something else to do. But find what your gift is. And then do it to the glory. Just do it. Just do it. I appreciate pats on the back. I, I do. How many of you appreciate being appreciated? The rest of you are lying. How many of you appreciate being appreciated? So thank you, by the way, for all the prayers and support cards in the passing of Carol's um, uh, father. But during the funeral message, I made this comment that when Finus Wilcox was passing, two of his grandsons came in and he looked at them and he said, what, what handsome young men. And I said in the message, and they were sitting there, I said, I'm offended because he's never in my entire life, I've known him since I was in second grade, he has never called me handsome. <laughs> never. Where do you get off? I've been in this family a lot longer. Well, one of the family, older lady, long story, long history with them, she walked up to me afterwards and shook my hand and she said, 
I think you're handsome. <laughs> she probably said that to me four or five times. And she's laughing at me. She got what I was trying to communicate. The point being, sometimes you can encourage someone. And if that's your gifting, then just do it. However, in our gifting, if you have to have a pat on the back to fulfill your calling, you're never going to be satisfied. I'll never forget the young preacher was invited to preach in a church and he came in and he preached with, with fervor and vitality and he, he gave them everything he had. Elder lady came up to him afterwards and said, young man, has anyone ever told you that you are God's gift to the church? And he said, well, I know, ma'am. No one's ever told me that. She said, then what on earth made you think that? <laughs> He needed to get his feet back on the ground. If you live for the praise of men, you'll die with their criticism. So the goal is, if he's given you a gift, do it. And what you'll discover is that he will bring affirmation along the way. He's the one that will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Just do it. The Father is glorified when? When we bear much fruit. Whatever God has called you to do, whatever you find to do with your hand, do it with all of your might. Just do it. Pastor Nathan, would you come? My challenge is that you would use 100%, not of your brain, but of your gifting. Yes. What might happen? What might happen at Berean yes. if we all decided, Jesus, give me a desire for spiritual gifts. Jesus, help me discover, help me discover what that gifting is. Then give me the ability to develop it and by your grace, I will deploy it for the kingdom's sake. What might happen? Central Iowa will never know what hit them when church members begin to walk in their gifting. Let's stand together, could we? And take some time. And here's what I'm gonna ask you to pray. God, create a hunger in me create a desire in me to glorify you with every aspect of my being. Let's just worship him together. Oh.
us with in Jesus name and everyone in agreement said amen 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 if you love Jesus let me hear your hands this morning